well, we kind of have a saying about Russia in general and like how they do things. Like Russia's mm-hmm. a bit slow to pick up on things mm-hmm. with anything, the internet, you know, democracy. (laughs) 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 When they um, pick it up, they roll it out exceptionally quickly and that's how they did it with the isolation. Hi, you're listening to At Home In The Mind with me, Vika. This podcast was originally going to be called On The Road In The Mind, as in February, I set off to spend the last two years of my 20s travelling the world. Two years, however, quickly turned to seven weeks as the world plummeted into crisis following the coronavirus pandemic. For me, this was a huge loss, not only because discovering the world has been something I've always wanted to do, but also because I have come to believe it essential for my mental health. Much of my 20s was spent only looking out for others, totally neglecting myself in the process. As I have slowly been re-emerging and gaining self-awareness, talking to friends and family, I have realized that everyone at some point or other in life deals with major or minor mental health issues. Now that billions around the world are stuck in their homes, many unsure how to cope in isolation, I decided to invite some for a chat to talk through current or past issues and resolutions. My hope is that by sharing these conversations, someone suffering miles away will feel less alone and better able to help themselves. The more we know, the better we can equip ourselves with the tools we need to heal and seek help. Welcome to the third episode of At Home in the Mind. I am once again talking to you from my studio as I'm still feeling a little poorly. Hopefully I'll be out of quarantine next week. My third guest is Monique, a primary school teacher living in Russia's capital, Moscow. As a Londoner far away from home, Monique not only gives great insight on the isolation situation there, but also on what it's like to live so far away from friends and family. We recorded this episode on the 9th of April last week because it corresponded with Monique's Easter holidays. So the information I give about myself in this episode is a week behind. Apart from me feeling a little poorly, everyone else is very well and happy and healthy. You'll understand what I'm talking about when you listen to the episode. On a serious note, Monique opens up about losing someone to the coronavirus. And although we only briefly touch on it, I do speak to her more intimately than perhaps I have with my other guests. I thought it appropriate in the moment, but I also kept it in the recording because I believe that it speaks to anyone who is going through grief at this time and in general. Grief is a very heavy burden to carry. Share it by whatever means you are most comfortable doing. As always, I'd like to stipulate that we can only talk from our perspective, fully aware that mental health affects everyone in different ways. At the end of the episode, I will talk a little more about the issues that Monique raises. But for now, let's start, shall we? Hi, Monique. Thanks so much for coming on to the show. Oh, no problem. In this isolation times, there's not much else to do. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing? To be honest, I'm doing okay, considering the circumstances. Yeah. Where are you at the moment for our listeners at home? I live in the northwest of Moscow. How long have you been in Moscow for? I came in 2014, so this would be my sixth year, finishing off my sixth year in Moscow. 
Wow. I did live here for a year with you previously to yes. that. Yeah. Does it feel like it's been six years? Yes and no. It, it really does feel like it was the other day that I first came. However, the experiences that I've had, it does feel like it's been six years. <laughs> yeah. And I remember at the beginning of your time there, certainly the first few years, you dealt quite a bit with loneliness, which is understandable being so far away from friends and family. Could you talk about what that experience was like and how you lived through it, what lessons you learned and how you're managing that loneliness now? Well, the hardest part about it when I first moved to Moscow is like when I originally moved for like my year abroad, I lived with all my friends. We lived in one building or not too far away from each other. So no matter what happened or what day, you always had a you know close friend to talk to, to go out with, to do things with. And I always associated Moscow with being a wonderful place of opportunities and fun and support. So no matter what was happening, there's always someone here. However, when I decided to move back... I did so like kind of on a whim and right. I just didn't really think about the fact that I wouldn't have that support network. So I moved out and there were two close friends living in Moscow at the time. And when I, that first year, I still felt like I had that support system. I also mm -hmm. had a Russian boyfriend who was still here at the time. But uh, like after that first year finished, my boyfriend was in the army and two of my friends basically left and I was just left kind of in Moscow, like on my own. And Moscow at the time was, it was changing, but it had hadn't changed that much it was a very gritty cold and oh it's a hard city to live in and just a lot of different things happened in my personal life that just made everything much more difficult and it was really hard previously to that I went out a lot and had lots of hobbies I was not home a lot and even in university I was wasn't really considered a homebody I generally be out and doing things and changed my whole life to really being in my flat all the time and I was living alone at the time and so I'd go to work which I loved. I loved my I loved my job. I go to work and I'd work and then I'd come home and I'd be on my own and it was rinse and repeat and I wouldn't really leave the flat apart from to go to the supermarket to get food and that was right. a cycle of quite a few months of just going to work and going home and having no one to talk to or to do things with. Even when my boyfriend did come out of the army we didn't really spend that much time together and I definitely felt very very alone and it was it was very hard. Did you feel any symptoms of depression from it, do you think? When I look back on it, definitely, because then there were, because of the cycle, I was so used to just not going out unless it was for work that I mm. started not going out because I was, I got, I don't know, I just got very scared. It's like, oh, if I go outside and this happens to me, or what if that happens to me, I have no one that will help me. Or if I, I don't know if I got, if I went out and I got mugged, what would I do? I don't have anyone to. Right to help me or if what if I got go out and I get run over or I have to go to hospital or I get sick and it just led to almost I didn't want to go out because I was then too afraid to go out right. and I didn't really want to put myself in situations where I'd need to rely on other people because I wasn't I didn't have anyone to rely on so I just didn't go out for even just small things like having a jog. When did that improve did you meet new people or did your situations change or did you look inwards rather than anything external well I loved my job really and truly and that was kind of the driving force for me 
And that was the only thing that was kind of really getting me out of the house. To be fair, I did work really long hours. So I was at work from about eight o'clock and I wouldn't finish until eight at night, really. Right. And I was really sad with my whole situation with my personal life. And the only thing that that was helping me was my job. I had no qualifications in it. So I was a, a, a primary school teacher working in a small school. And I thought, OK, I'm unhappy. I'm terrified of going out. I have no friends. I need to sort out my life essentially and so I said there's two things I could do I could go back to the UK and continue to study or just just drop everything and just move to back to the UK and start over or I could move flat and move job to a different school where I knew there was a possibility of me having a more extended group of friends because I knew of um, Mm -hmm. a school that my friend had previously worked at and she'd had loads of friends and a great social life and there was opportunities for the school to sponsor you to do the masters and so I thought I'm really unhappy but the only thing that's kept me saying this entire time has been my job and so I thought why not you know what what could that hurt it was one of the best decisions I ever made really because that was the only thing that kind of got me out of this hole that I I, I was in mm. and apart from loneliness obviously and and feeling disconnected what are the other struggles of living apart from your family and friends well the hardest part I think initially was just feeling like I missed out on lots of stuff. Like I missed out Mm. on my friends' big things like running up to their weddings, children that were being born. They were going and seeing each other and I wasn't part of that. And same thing with my family. There were things that they were doing that I wasn't part of. And most recently, my granddad passed away. And um, because, because, it's okay. But because I'm away, I'm super disconnected from my family and I want to be there to support them. And I feel like I'm not supporting them and I can't really be part of all of that going on because of the current situation. This must be really hard for you being away from them at this time. Has that affected your grief, you think? Not being able to say a proper goodbye or are you finding ways of saying your own personal goodbye? I don't necessarily think I'll get up I'll feel proper closure of the situation until I go home and and have that that time because mm-hmm. like being mm-hmm. here is still not really really hasn't really settled in my mind yet because oh, yeah. I'm not home like I think as soon as I go back to London and like not not seeing my grandfather I think that's when it'll probably fully we'll set in yeah mm-hmm. for listeners who don't know I grew up in Moscow from the age of two weeks old till I was eight years old And my parents were both working parents. So when they were working, we would have these amazing Russian ladies look after us and pick us up from school. And one of them died a few years back. She was the youngest of the three. And she was like a second mum to me and my siblings. And I haven't been able to go back to Moscow and been able to say a proper goodbye. So it still doesn't... I know what you mean by not being able to process the grief until you're in the location where that person usually was and realize you're not able to see them. So I really feel for you. And just so you know, you know, outside of this podcast, I'm here to talk about that if you, whenever you need. Thank Um, you. What I found helps a lot with grieving, which I didn't do when I went through quite a shock grief when I was 21 is talking about it. Um, obviously. So whenever you feel sad about it, whenever you feel any sort of emotion about it, even happy memories that you want to express, it's really important to reach out to anyone you feel comfortable reaching out to and just talking because not talking really eats it up inside and 
the grief is even more acutely painful for longer. Not that it ever goes away, but uh, the pain can eat you up if it's not expressed. Yeah, I don't know if that will if that helps at all. If that's just obvious advice. No, it does help. It does help. there must have been a reason why you decided to stay despite the loneliness what is it about Moscow that has kept you there to be honest I don't really know (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Moscow has chewed me up and spat me out several times and yet I feel like I'm in this a slightly abusive relationship where I'm like oh but Moscow loves me Moscow's given me this Uh uh-huh but to, to be honest, Moscow has given me some of the best experiences and some of the worst, but some of the best yeah. experiences of my life. Mm-hmm. And as gritty and horrible as it is, I definitely would not have been able to have the experiences and the opportunities if I had not moved here. One of the biggest of which would have been to meet my now fiance. I definitely would have, wouldn't have met him if I was not here, <laughs> which is great. And I would not have been able to do my master's without having the insane amount of student debt if I had not done it which is two of the biggest reasons I'm glad that I'm still here. Could you take us through the sort of timeline to the lockdown because from the west it seemed that Putin was sort of putting it off and covering up the virus for quite a while. Well we kind of have a saying about Russia in general and like how they do things like Russia's Mm -hmm. a bit slow to pick up on things Mm -hmm. with anything the internet you know, democracy. (laughs) 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 When they they, um, pick it up, they roll it out exceptionally quickly and that's how they did it with the isolation. So they went from literally nothing. Oh, it's not really our problem. There's no cases in Russia. Mm -hmm. It's a China problem. It's a European problem. It's fine. To all of a sudden, okay, no swimming pools, isolation in schools. A week later, school shut. Yeah, they they really went from not sixty like very quickly. Basically, within a month or a couple of weeks, they went from nothing to no one can go out, not even to exercise. I remember there was I had a similar feeling, to be honest, about the UK from where I was in Puerto Rico. So obviously, I don't know exactly what the mood was like in the UK at the time, but I remember that before I left, the stance in the UK had been Boris's speech, which was it was sort of a strange speech where he was saying. we're not going to do much about it, but you're going to lose some family members. To suddenly, when I was on my layover in Miami, he gave a speech saying, actually, no, I've spoken to the experts and we should all probably isolate. And that was, you know, within a day or two, that starts completely changing. And then everything changed very quickly in a matter of days. So I think it's very, it was very similar by the sounds of things. So what what is what are the exact rules of lockdown in Moscow at the moment? Because from what Faustine told us in the first episode in France, they have to print their own certificates out saying that they are going to the shops at this time and that is why they're outside sort of thing. Do you guys have anything like that? Well, there's kind of two separate rules. They now have testing kits at home so they can send you testing kits quite quickly. Oh, great. 
yeah, so it means that their numbers have jumped up because people are being tested at home. If you have been confirmed to have had COVID, you have to stay in your, your house. You are not allowed to leave for any reason because everyone in Moscow lives in, in flats and mm-hmm. most flats will have a concierge or some kind of camera mm-hmm. for security reasons. And so now they've got facial recognition they, that is plugged into all of these different cameras and the government have access to all of the cameras from every entrance. So right. they, can, they can physically see if you leave your apartment because when you have confirmed to have had it, they take your picture. Mm-hmm. So they can upload it onto their system. And if you leave, they will see. And if you're a foreigner, you can get into quite a lot of trouble. You can get deported. If you're a national, you can get fines and possible prison time depending on if you're found to have infected someone. Right. Um, so it's very serious if you're confirmed to to have had it. Even if you're asymptomatic, even if but if you have it and you go out, you can get in a lot of trouble. Sure. In terms of just self isolation, in central Moscow, they're giving out fines. They were going to have some kind of QR code system similar to the French system, where you have to have a QR code if you want to leave. Mm-hmm. Currently, if you have an essential service job you're allowed to move around moscow freely but you have to have a letter from your employer stating what you're doing why you're allowed out and the hours to which you're working so you also do have to be careful if you're outside of working hours floating around the streets Mm -hmm. um they have sent out lots of soldiers to different places within moscow to be fair i haven't seen any in my area but in my area i have a lot of hospitals so okay. that I don't think they necessarily have a lot of people in my area because there are lots of people moving around because there's lots of nurses and doctors and ambulances constantly going backwards and forwards because on my road there is two clinics, a medical academy and another psychiatric hospital. So that's just on one road. There's all those different mm-hmm. services. So there's not many police in my, on my, in my road and in my area. I think that's the reason why. But in lots of different areas of Moscow, they've got police just patrolling and going to the shops. I did see a police car that came because there was lots of people hanging out on the streets, came to disperse them and give them fines. Um, right. but there is a definite police presence just making sure that people are um, self-isolating. Are you finding that reassuring or stressful in terms of when you would like to just be outside for a little bit for some fresh air and go um, on your daily walk? Well, we're not allowed to, really. So you're not, so basically what we have here is you can go out for groceries, but you can also go out for a daily exercise. No, we we don't have that. Just groceries? Just groceries, um, which is what we use for our walk. We don't go out every day and you're allowed to walk your pets, but no more than 100 metres from your flat. But we're not allowed to go out for exercise at this current time. How are you finding that? It's hard. It's really hard because we're quite active. We mountain bike and we walk a lot. Mm. And where we live is so beautiful. And it's very, it's in a notoriously leafy area of Moscow, gorgeous forests and woods and cycling. The river's right there. And it's hard not being able to go out, especially as it's just turned spring. It's finally warm here. And we can't go out. (laughs) Do you have any sort of little balcony or anything like that? Luckily, we do. Even though we live in quite a small flat, we have a quite a large balcony with beautiful large windows. So we do sit out there and it does feel like we're outside, even when we're inside, um, which is nice. And we yeah. we bought a switch just before the self-isolation came in so we can play, <laughs> just dance. And that's how we get our exercise every day. Oh, that's great. That's a really good tip. 
It is fun. And we Zoom. That's one of the things we do every evening because the problem with about our work is currently Russia's not giving out any visas to foreigners. Okay. So if we leave, which is another reason why, even if I could get back to the UK, I don't know if I necessarily would go back right now, mm-hmm. even with all the situation, mm-hmm. because they can't guarantee that they will give us a visa for next academic year. And if we are unable to get a visa, then we have no job. For the listeners out there, you're a teacher. Yes, I'm a primary school um, teacher. You're doing a PGCE, right? Yes, yes I am. I'm assuming you're teaching online now. Yeah, we're doing virtual virtual schooling, which is difficult. Really? Why? Because the whole point of like teaching and the whole mythology of teaching in the UK is that you tailor everything to your class and to your children. And everything has to be differentiated for different ability groups, different kinds of learners. And it's really difficult to be able to do that effectively when you're doing Mm. a distance. Because, well, number one, it's really hard to put out all that information because obviously the parents will be like, why has my child got this and that child's got that? Because they'll find Mm -hmm. out, you know, all the different groupings. So that's a problem within itself. So what we try to do is give all the information and then they can choose if they do the more difficult task or the medium task or the slightly lower ability task. It's also to do with the parents' engagement as well. So there'll be parents who will push their children to do all of the work, which is fantastic, but they just it's just difficult because obviously parents just like, oh, if they're going to send in a piece of work, it has to be perfect. They have to have great spelling. They have to have all the punctuation there. But that's the parents telling the child to put that all in it's not the child knowing how to do these things and it just means that when they do eventually go back to school they're going to be so much further behind because they're not really like they're doing the activities but they don't know why their work is good they don't actually know how to spell those words and they don't actually really know how to do that mathematical strategy really because the parents just basically fed them all the information I've been like on the computer doing a lesson individual lesson with a child and the parents there going like we're doing a spelling test and the parents they're like no t you're meant to be spelling it with a t twig t I'm like no this is this is not how the child learns of course they're going to get it wrong but they get it wrong and then I can teach them how to do it better next time rather than just being like oh yeah she knows it now she knows it now but it's, it seems that historically parents are so afraid of their children failing that uh, that they don't realise that that's how you learn, is you learn through failure. What's it like planning for, for these types of lessons? You have to do a completely different, uh, you have to take a completely different approach. The problem with virtual learning is that none of us are experts on it. All of us are teachers and we're used to teaching in a classroom and then all of a sudden we have to kind of be YouTubers <laughs> almost. Okay. <laughs> and we have to learn how to make engaging content that is understandable mm-hmm. for the children but looks good, looks high quality. So we have to learn how to use iMovie and we have to learn how to edit and use green screen and wow. editing tasks and how to make everything look good and be digestible for the children so like since this whole thing's happened I've bought a green screen I've bought a proper mic 
good software for editing. We've had to get special backdrops for our video. So we have like a filming space and it looks the same every day. Are you finding it stressful in terms of completing your PGCE? I'm lucky because our school didn't close until basically the end of March. Okay. Um, so it meant that three quarters of my work was finished. Okay. Um, at least two, at least two thirds to three quarters were finished and done. And I had quite a lot. I had more than some other teachers were able to do just purely for the fact that my school didn't close early. It closed fairly mm-hmm. late. So I'm in a good position to be able to pass. I don't know whether I'm in a good position to be able to do exceptionally well, but I'm, I'm in a good position to pass to get the qualification, basically. yeah, to be able to to be able to get a two one, which is which is good. I'm in a better position than most, so I'm quite happy. Okay, and then on to just more personal stuff. You recently got engaged. Congratulations! Thank you. Uh, and you bought a flat. How has this lockdown had an effect on all those plans? When were you planning on moving in? When were you planning on having the wedding? I'll start with the flat first. Um, luckily. We bought a flat with a property developing company, which is the biggest in Russia. We did that for a particular reason that there's less risk. And Mm -hmm. our flat hasn't been finished being built. It's meant to be built by the 30th of December. And as far as we're aware and what they've told us is that it should still be finished on that time. They've acquired all the relevant permits from the authorities. And then they have their workmen doing double shifts in order to finish on time. So we should still be able to get our keys by the end of December, which is great. It's just obviously about property prices. From what we can see, the property prices have not moved and people are still buying. So hopefully it means that the property market will still continue because Moscow is an overcrowded city. Right. So, you know, supply versus demand and there's a massive demand. So hopefully there will still be supply and the prices will stay where they are. Mm-hmm. Well, in terms of our wedding, luckily we weren't going to do a Russian wedding, which is basically you get engaged, you get married like two weeks after. <laughs> uh, we are not going to do that. We're going to get married next year. We will see if people will be able to travel next year. We'll, it's we'll the travelling, really, because obviously the that's the last thing that's going to be allowed, isn't it? Or I, I think I'm just being crazy, but because of the it obviously comes and goes with the flu season... Hopefully, if you get married in summer, because the furthest away from flu season, you should be okay. Yeah. I'm hoping. But this is just, you know, my wish. Yes. Um, yeah. But who's to say that it will happen? But either way, I'm happy. And if we, if we can't have, you know, the wedding that we want, we'll still get married regardless. do this thing on the show where I have some closing questions can move on to that if you like yeah how how are you doing though oh thanks for asking today is a weird day I woke up at 3 30 in the morning not feeling great so I've been locked up in my studio away from my fiance Jamie and more importantly his parents his mom is in her 60s and his dad is in his mid 80s and his his dad had a mini stroke this week. He's okay though. Oh, but 
because of all that, even feeling slightly feverish and phlegmy and whatever, I can't risk it. So today is the first day of my isolation in this studio and who knows how long I'm going to be here for. <laughs> so, but I'm very lucky I'm being well looked after. I got delivered some groceries <laughs> by, by Jamie. And yeah, I'm just I'm just annoyed because it had to come now when his parents really need all the help they can get. And obviously the best help I can give them right now is by not approaching them at all, which is frustrating. Otherwise, I'm OK. I'm very happy to be talking to you. Speaking of what makes us happy, what do you miss most about pre-isolation? Ah, so many things. I miss my job. <laughs> I really mm-hmm. miss the children. They're definitely the high part of my day. I don't know. I just think whenever I I think, oh God, I've got all these things to do. As soon as they come in the room, it's like nothing, like nothing's upsetting me. Nothing's up, like irking me and I can just get on with what I do. Yeah. So I do miss that. Um, and I just miss seeing my friends really because we're a very tight group in Moscow because we're, you know, kind of by ourselves. And yeah. I just, I do miss seeing them. I miss my job and I miss seeing my, seeing my friends. But is there anything that you are actually grateful for? This time has given you something that that you were missing out on beforehand. Oh my goodness, yes. Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, I miss sleep and I've caught up on it so much and quality time, quality time with, with my fiancé because sometimes I feel like we're passing ships in the night. Right, um, right. We've had lots of time to spend with each other and I'm, I'm very grateful that I still am able to work. Very, very grateful. As difficult yes. as it is, I am so happy because being in Moscow without a job would be devastating. And now you've got, you know, a new a new house to pay for and everything. So what is the first thing you'll do after all of this is over? Hmm. Probably go for a bike ride or a run. Mm-hmm. Because it's nice and warm. Just get on my bike. Just have to wear shorts and a T-shirt and I can just go. So yeah. that would be really exciting. That and go out to eat. Ooh, what's what's your favourite place to go out to eat in Moscow, just in case anyone, if travelling is ever allowed again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if travelling is ever allowed again. Oh, goodness, there's so many places. Now that it's warm, I get, all the verandas would be going out and I'd probably go to one of three places. One is Stroka, mm-hmm. which is was one of our favourite places to go. It's gorgeous on the river, beautiful cocktails, lovely view. That, that place is insane. That place is behind a cathedral called, oh God, what's the English name? Um, Christ um, oh, our Saviour. Christ our Saviour, yeah. yeah. And it's there's a secret bridge behind Christ our Saviour, which leads to this amazing bar called Stilga, which means uh, arrow on the, the shores of Moscow River. And yeah, you're completely right. That would be awesome to go to. What so there's that one. And then what are the other two? There's another one that's also not too far from there. It's was renamed during the World Cup, the Street of Lights. And on there, there's a lovely restaurant called Wine and Crab. And mm-hmm. you can eat so much crab there. And you can drink <laughs> so much Prosecco. And it's delicious. <laughs> Amazing. And the third? Outside. And the third would be, it's a place to drink. And it's just a little hole in the wall pub, not like five or just about 10 minutes away from where I live. And it's kind of the most pubby place in the whole of Moscow full of like locals that we all kind of know. And there's a few um, internationals that are there and, you know, all the staff. But 
I'm hoping it will reopen soon because mm-hmm. they basically have just told them they do not have jobs once the bar is closed. Yeah, I think um, a lot of uh, customer service restaurant bars all over the world are really struggling. What is your number one survival tip during this lockdown? <sighs> number one survival tip. Um, exercise is very good. It keeps you sane. Even if you can just do it in your flat, just do like something. It just makes it just releases those endorphins that helps you to get through the rest of the day. And mm-hmm. reaching out to people is like just even just doing Zoom calls. My my one of my friends is like her best part of the day is listening to her family members do like a a Facebook live or almost radio program they do every night where they host a radio show. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Yeah, it's it's a bit strange, but it seems they seem to really enjoy it every day. They do it at the same time and it helps to kind of solidify like their bonds, even though they're all That's in different really places nice. and isolating all in all different places. I agree, yeah. a regular a regular thing like that. I have a few of those in place. Making it a sort of routine, but so social social routine. So you're not completely isolated and alone you have this feeling of community still despite being in the same place all the time yeah agrees that's one of the biggest things i think that's definitely helped okay well monique thanks so much for coming on and being so open and just being your kind amazing self and yeah (laughs) i never know how to close these i never know how to say goodbye but just (laughs) just thank you very much Bye, and I'll speak to you very soon. Bye. That's I waved. Fun. I waved. I don't know why I waved. <laughs> That's the end of the third episode. I acknowledge that perhaps this episode was more at home than in the mind, as our discussion centred more on the tribulations of lockdown in Moscow than on how she's lived with, in her case, loneliness and tragically, more recently, grief. But Monique was extremely generous in accepting to talk to me when her grandfather had only just passed away, and so I thought it best to draw on her Moscow expertise rather than on her current suffering. I'm just glad that she has her fiancé with her in Moscow to help her through this extremely tough time, and hope that the podcast provided her some comfort as well as a fun distraction. If you are suffering from any of the issues raised in this episode, Please see the links in the description below. You'll also find there the link to my Instagram page where you can let me know what you took away from this episode. Incidentally, I would like to thank all those who sent me their suggestions on how to improve my Instagram page and what they would like to see on a daily basis. If you haven't made any suggestions yet, please feel free to get in touch. Tune in next week as I reach out to my friend David. We talk about accepting one's gayness, as he once put it to me, and being a young person with pre-existing conditions that make him vulnerable to the coronavirus. Finally, as always, I want to thank my sister, Zhenya, for the logo and constant support with this podcast, my fiancé, Jamie, for composing the theme tune and adding that all-important final touch to the audio. You can discover more of their talents on their Instagram pages, links in the description below. And of course, Monique, for her openness and kindness in taking part during this difficult time. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it and that you'll join me again next week at home in the mind.